Oh, good morning and welcome to this pre-recorded meeting for Calvary Evangelical Church here in Brighton for the 6th of September 2020. We're just emerging uh, from a lockdown and we hope soon to begin trialling, meeting together, at least to pray in our forthcoming month of prayer. I'll just say the usual introduction for those who are dropping in for the first time. We're a church of people who live in Brighton, Sussex, UK on the south coast, we're believers in Jesus Christ and there's new, usually, if we remember back to the old days, 70 or 80 of us meeting on Sunday mornings and we're just an ordinary uh, group of people brought together by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. My name's Philip Wells. I'm one of a team of elders here at Calvary and I'm leading this morning. Other notices will be, uh, as usual, circulated by email, etc. So a warm welcome to everybody, uh, particularly if you've just dropped in. Uh, we're going to do the things that Christians normally do, and uh, that's up on the screen there by my head. Uh, the things that we normally do to read scripture, to sing um, as best we can, although we can't sing together, we can at least sing something or even just listen to it sung to us. We have the Bible read, we have a talk on the Bible, and uh, that plan is there up on the screen behind my head. Uh, so this morning we're continuing our series of studies and meditations on, on a based on a book in the new in the New Testament called the Letter to the Hebrews, or just Hebrews for short. And one of the great themes of that letter is Jesus as our great High Priest, and uh, that's what we're going to be thinking about. So let's pray together as we start. Lord, uh, we ask that we may draw near to God and that you would draw near to us. May we hear your voice today and know the hand of God, the touch of God upon our lives. Uh, don't let us be distracted, we pray, or indifferent uh, in this particular method of thinking about you and drawing near to you but may we truly meet with you and may you work your work in us in this time of coronavirus. As we go through this particular trial, may it work within all your people, uh, perseverance and maturity and likeness to Christ, perhaps in a way that couldn't be achieved uh, under other circumstances. So please be at work amongst us and bless this time for Jesus' sake. Amen. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. As Christians, our main focus is Jesus. As the scripture says, fix your thoughts on Jesus or consider Jesus or look intently at Jesus. Uh, and uh, in the prophetic scriptures that we're thinking of just now, he is described as a rather mysterious figure. He's uh, seen uh, in uh, sort of prophetic vision by King David, uh, seen as a mighty and fearsome king who is also, strangely, a priest and who is greater than King David because David calls him his lord. And this figure experiences remarkable personal revival as he receives the dew of his youth and is revived by drinking from a brook. The Lord says to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty, from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the heads of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Well, that is Psalm 110 as it uh, references this uh, figure from uh, ancient history, Melchizedek, that says that this is a king and a priest. So I've read Psalm 110, and uh, in a moment we're going to sing it, and then we'll follow that with uh, a song from the Sovereign Grace people in America. It's a song of devotion and testimony. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, we'll give you one verse just to get the tune and then uh, singing the verses that follow. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely song and I hope you like it. But first then, Psalm 110. <laughs> Yeah. 
together. 
we approach the Father. We approach the Father in his majesty. And we come to bring praise and honour to the Almighty, the creator and sustainer of all. We praise Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the one who made our human race in your own image. And despite our wicked rebellion, you elected to bless our lost world through your friend Abraham and his seed. We honour the Father who planned our salvation from before the world was made. We come to worship the Father who, out of love for lost sinners, sent his Son into the world to be our Saviour. We worship the Father who did not spare his Son, but gave him up to unimaginable suffering in order to pay the penalty for our sins under the wrath of God and thus to secure our salvation. We honour the Father whose will is that all who look to the Son will not be turned away, will not be lost, but will be raised on the last day. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your Son we can call you Father. We thank you that as we look to you in all reverence and worship, we find that you, from your holy throne, look down upon us and welcome us into your presence with amazing love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for such love. We thank you for sending your Spirit, first upon your eternal Son and then into the hearts of those who are sinners. What a wonderful thing. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who brings us the presence of the Father and the Son so that we are not left as orphans in this world. We thank you that he teaches us to pray, teaches us to hate sin, teaches us to love holiness, teaches us the glories of Jesus and teaches us to speak those glories into this world. So our Father, we offer our lives to you afresh through the enabling of the Spirit and the precious sacrifice of our Saviour. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now we're going to have scripture read to us and Rosemary is going to read Hebrews 4:14 4, through to uh, 5:10. Thank you Rosemary. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to chapter 5 verse 10. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. 
No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The prayer says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Uh, approaching the throne of grace is just a way of saying praying. And uh, we're going to sing a song about prayer. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's number 614. And then we will uh, come and pray. So 614 is the song. What a friend we have in Jesus For our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often Burdened with a load of care 
Jesus is our mighty Savior. He will listen to our prayer. Do your friends despise for saying you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. Find your strength and comfort there. Now having sung, we're going to pray together. Uh, I'm going to make a suggestion that we uh, pray in little bits and between each bit we say uh, out loud, wherever we may be, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I'm sorry, it's a bit liturgical, isn't it? But I'm just trying to think of ways that we can um, keep ourselves involved with uh, what we're doing, even though we're not together. So my suggestion is, you don't have to do it, that uh, when we've prayed each little bit, for our world, for our city, for our church, for our near and dear ones and for ourselves, we say out loud, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So let us pray for our world. Lord, we come to you for our world in this particular time of worldwide trouble and dislocation. Uh, we pray for governments, for uh, the governments of the great nations, uh, as they are in many ways powerless in the face of this particular infection. We pray, Lord, for those who work uh, to alleviate suffering. We pray for societies as they respond in various ways to this issue. And uh, we pray for your mercy, but we also pray that they would heed the wake-up call. We pray for your servants across the world, and we think of those in Turkey, in the USA. We think of friends in Sri Lanka, and in Cambodia, and in India, and in Albania, and in Brazil, and in Italy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our city in its need of for you. We pray for mercy for those who propagate and are ensnared in ideologies and lifestyles that are in disregard of your almighty, wise, good and holy ways. Please send your word in convincing and convicting power. We pray that the whole city will hear the word of the Lord, as in the book of uh, Acts, uh, whole areas heard your word, and we pray that your this city might be abuzz with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our church, for our continuing fellowship with you, Lord, for the indwelling of your word amongst us and the life of your spirit amongst us, for us to continue as a community of faith, of prayer, of gospel-mindedness, 
of continuing holy, humble repentance, of thankfulness and joy in the Holy Spirit. We pray that we might be spiritually minded people. And we ask you to gather up those who are perhaps getting separated from the flock or particularly vulnerable for one other, whatever reason. And we pray to, that you would send particular help to all who are struggling at this time. And we pray that you would guide us and provide for future ministry. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our near ones and dear ones. And we pause to think of family members and colleagues and neighbours and workmates and friends. We commit them to you. We pray that our witness to them might have integrity and saltiness and effectiveness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we pray for whatever personal prayers we want to pray, whether of thankfulness, of penitence, of request, or anything that's on our minds and hearts at the moment. Let's conclude by saying together, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. The next song is uh, pretty much a transcription of the text that we're looking at today. So turned into songs that we can teach and admonish one another with all spiritual wisdom and grace in our hearts to the Lord. It's about Jesus, our great high priest. And... uh, in a moment we'll sing it, but let's pray for the hearing of our text. Lord, uh, help us to sing these words, but also help us to hear them and meditate on them with great blessing to our souls. Grant us to be deeply impressed with our Saviour so that our lives are changed as we look at him and as we consider him together. Amen. So here's the song 501, where high the heavenly temple stands.
And put on earth His precious blood Curses in heaven His mighty plan The Saviour and the friend of man Though now ascended upon high He sees us with a So we've prayed and we're going to look together at Hebrews and uh, my rather provocative introduction is to say what's 
the main thing for our church? What's the main thing for the church at the moment? Or perhaps we might say, what's the main thing for me at the moment? But make it personal. So would you say that the main thing was that we should support each other during the virus? So I'm going to say that's a great thing and a good thing, but there's something more important than that. It's not the main thing. Uh, having a determined season of prayer, well, we certainly need that. Uh, but the prayer as a thing is not the thing. Uh, it's not the main thing. There's more something more important than that. Um, seeing our local churches thrive rather than struggle. Well, that's very important, isn't it? But there's something more fundamental and basic even than that. Getting future ministry sorted out. Well, that's certainly very uh, um, uh, important and very topical. But uh, I would venture to say, in my controversial introduction, that there's something more fundamental and important than that. And you can have all sorts of things on your own personal agenda, uh, finding a future life partner, etc., etc. But what I'm going to say is that the fundamental thing the thing that is most important, the main thing, is Jesus. The main thing is Jesus. He is impo more important than anything else, and nothing else makes any sense without him being basic, being first, being at the centre. And of all those good things that are, are in the list there, he is the key to all of them, and without him, None of them uh, really works. He is the key to everything else. So we're coming to uh, Hebrews. That's my introduction, and I hope it'll make sense as we go through. I just had some thoughts on the way we approach Hebrews. Um, my wife, who cooks such delicious meals that I gobble them down, says, don't bolt your food. Uh, don't eat it too quickly. Well, like many men, uh, uh, it, what's the problem with eating it quickly? You just wop it all down, don't you? Um, but uh, you do that, you miss something. You don't get the full benefit. Uh, you don't enjoy it as you should. And there are many things in this letter that are worth taking slowly. And even as we go into uh, chapter 4, verse 14 and onwards, I'm conscious that we've missed chapter 4 verse 12 which says the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword and we've uh, skated past that well uh, rightly or wrongly maybe you ought to come back to it so we shouldn't go too quickly and here's another thing that we don't want to do we don't want to miss the big points like somebody uh, exploring a landscape uh, and noticing only the little details and missing the big points. So here's somebody who notices a blade of grass and goes a bit further and notices another blade of grass and goes a bit further and notices another blade of grass. And incidentally, in our teaching, uh, preaching um, workshops, get-togethers, uh, this is something we're very conscious of that uh, uh, it's one of the dangers of expository ministry that you just notice a blade of grass and the next blade of grass and the next blade of grass and you don't miss, uh, sorry, you don't catch the f big architectural feature because what that person was crawling upon was this thing, what is it? A huge castle and uh, um, it would be a great pity to notice only the blades of grass but not notice the castle. 
the castle has important connections below the surface. Looks like there's a tunnel collecting those two towers. So as we uh, look at Hebrews, actually, we're told some of the big important things that we're not to miss. And here are two of them. Chapter 8, verse 1, he says, he tells us what the point is. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. So he says, this is the point. Uh, the point of what we're saying is this. So there's one of the towers, if you like. That's an important point. And the point is we have a high priest, uh, this high priest, all the things about him. So one of his main points that we shouldn't miss is what is technically known as Christology, the doctrine of Christ, the teachings about Jesus Christ. And they show us just how great Jesus is. So we shouldn't miss that as we go through. And there's another thing in which he tells us uh, what he's getting at. Um, a big point, it's in chapter 13 verse 22 where he says, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter. He says what it is is a word of exhortation or a, a message of exhortation. Now what's exhortation? Not a word that we use very often in English. It means a, a, an address, a speech or a letter um, emphatically urging someone to do something. That's exhortation. Get down off there. Run. Run the race. Um, fight the fight. Um, exhortation. Uh, so there are these two big features of the letter. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the great high priest, and that exhortation. Hold fast. Don't drift. And the two are connected. The doctrine is there for the purpose of urging people. So you get things like fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus so that you can hold on to your courage and hope. Because there's an if. You need to hold on. And you're part of his house if you hold on. So we need, uh, as we go through Hebrews, or um, I certainly need to hold these two things together. The teaching about how marvellous Jesus is, uh, but not just to inform and instruct, but to inspire and motivate and to urge us to do something. So there's some thoughts about um, how we make our way through the letter and uh, if you've got any feedback on that, we'd be very pleased to have it. Anyway, we have got now to the first point in the letter where time is specifically spent looking at this matter which he says is the is the point Jesus the great high priest uh, it's in Hebrews 4 14 to 5 10 and incidentally this teaching about Christ is followed by some exhortation of a very uh, in the terms of a very stern and severe warning he says we've got a lot to say about this but it's hard to explain because you are slow to hear. Uh, and he goes on to, to warn them uh, that they must not become lazy, but rather to in imitate those who through faith and perseverance inherit what's been promised. So uh, that's an example of what I've just been talking about. 
So we're going to look at the uh, section on the High Priest and at least two goes. Uh, there's a lot to be said about it and I don't want to try and say it all at once. So um, today I'm just going to say these four things uh, all being well. So number one, the need we have. Number two, the greatness he gained. Number three, the sympathy he learned. And number four, the help he sends. We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Um, he's able to sympathise with our weaknesses. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace to find help and mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Number one, the need we have. Number two, the greatness he gained. Number three, the sympathy he learned. Number four, the help he sends. So what about the need we have? Do we have need? Uh, many people would say that uh, to say need is, is just uh, an admission of weakness, lack of backbone. Just a, his Christianity is a crutch for the weak. Well, of course, it depends on your diagnosis of the position, really. What is uh, the human condition? Well, the human condition is we're noble because in the image of God, able to do many praiseworthy things by God's common grace but not a single area that's not spoilt by sin. And that's the human condition. Now we're here talking about the church's position. So what's the church's position? Full of privilege and power and praise, full and strong. Well, there is a certain uh, blessing and privilege and enabling and thankfulness that belongs to the church. But if the church thinks that she is without need then she really has got the wrong end of the stick. When Paul spoke to the Corinthians, uh, they were pretty sure they didn't need much. Uh, he's, uh, he says to them, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 8, Already you have all you want. Already you, be, uh, you have become rich. Not right. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings, that we might be kings with you. So they thought they were full and strong, but Paul says, no, you're not. Already? No. Um, not yet. One day. But already is a mistake. It's a mistake about timing. And uh, the risen Christ addresses the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea says, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. And the risen Christ says, no, you're completely uh, wrong. You have a need. Look at the need we have. Well, what is our need? Uh, the writers of the Hebrews will put it in terms of this. Uh, what are we like? Well, we're like the people wandering in the desert back in the Old Testament, having taken from Egypt and slavery, been given uh, promises of rest. Now, those promises, as we saw the other couple of weeks, are sort of expanding promises. They go, one, they go to a certain point and they expand and go on and expand and go on. Uh, they're still relevant to us. They're still expanding the promises of rest. So I've drawn the, uh, the city uh, in which there is rest. But in between, in between slavery and the city is trial, temptation, affliction. Uh, the Hebrews uses that word affliction. Uh, if you're interested, it's the Greek word thlipsis, sometimes translated tribulation. Uh, and each of these is potentially deadly 
in nature. So all that stretch of space that we're in now is uh, this, trial, temptation, affliction. I mean, there's other things as well, but it certainly is this. And therefore the need to resist, to hold on, uh, to keep going, to persevere, those um, are never irrelevant. We need them all the time. And whether the needs take the form of persecution or providences that go against us and cross us or temptations, um, I suppose in our generation sexual temptation is a, a prevailing thing in our culture. And that's the zone that we're in. That's the landscape that we're in. If you like, it's a uh, because it's, it fits into this time scale, you could say it's an eschatological need. It fits into the set of days that God's given. And this is where we live. And I just ask you whether you recognise the landscape, because you are here. Trial, temptation, affliction, that's where we're at, and that's why we need help. The need we have. We need help. We need our helper. And, of course, that is exactly who Jesus is. And that's why it says, let us then approach the throne through the great high priest that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Number one, the need we have. Number two, the greatness he gained. And Hebrews is really very concerned to impress on us the greatness of this high priest. He, he says, we have a great high priest and we shouldn't overlook that word great because it's full of meaning and uh, it goes on to say um, at the end of this section well I've got a lot to say about this and I'm not going to try and say everything but I'd like to say a couple of things I'm going to say he's great because he inherited a name and he's great because he made purification so he inherited a name he got a name he gained a name inheritance can cover those uh, meanings to get something, to come into possession of something, to, to gain it, as well as to inherit in the sense that we would um, from father to son. And I'm looking back at chapter 1 verse 4 where it says, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So his superiority lies in inheriting a name. The angels didn't do this, but he did. He's superior to the angels. Now, what is it saying? Is it saying that in his eternal nature as the enduring son, he's superior to the angels? Well, that's certainly true. But that's not what's being said. What's being said is he is superior because he inherited a name. He achieved something. He uh, gained this. He, he, he was rewarded with this. And uh, worth thinking about this. So we get a similar thing in Philippians 2 verse 9. Remember Philippians 2 describes his humi humility, his uh, taking the nature of a servant, his becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then in 2 verse 9 it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he was 
given a name, uh, not the name Jesus, but the name Lord. And it is therefore, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name. On the basis of his breathtaking work that he did on the cross, he achieved something. Um, he gained greatness through this. The Father acclaimed him with greatness. And, you know, whether or not that affects us, isn't that great for Jesus? That he received the reward that he deserved. He is highly exalted and uh, given a name of lordship, of, of being Yahweh. You get the similar thing in Romans chapter 1 verse 3, where it speaks about uh, the gospel of Jesus, uh, of God's son, who as to his human nature, as to his flesh, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord doesn't say name here does it I'm licking the same thought um, he went down into death and then he's raised and as he's raised uh, God declares him to be the son of God with power uh, he was humbled and weak and now he has risen in the place of power the powerful son of God a change of state from weakness and humiliation to exaltation to power to um, declared sonship and I'm going to link that and say this is um, part and parcel of inheriting this name. So our Saviour gains for himself, as it were, uh, a state of power and honour and recognition. Uh, he has a superior name. And as I said before, whether or not that affects us, I mean, don't we want to say um, how brilliant for Jesus? Isn't that exactly what he deserves? Isn't that where he ought to be? Isn't that the acclaim he ought to have? Uh, he deserves that. Uh, so let's come to the second thing, the greatness he gained. He made purification. Uh, well, he made purification for sins. After he had done this, Hebrews 1.3, he sat down. And there's something rather great about this, isn't it? That he achieved something. He made purification for sins. He did it. Uh, the greatness he gained, this finished and accomplished salvation for his people. In John's Gospel, when Jesus dies on the cross, that's what he says. Finished. Done it. Accomplished. And this leaves us, uh, ought to leave us in no doubt as to the adequacy of the salvation he's made. The purification for sins he's achieved. He has gained greatness as a saviour. Because on the cross he paid the full penalty for our sins. He's done it. He drank the cup. He bore the wrath. He, he said it's finished. Nothing left undone, all done. So here is a, a, a reason, I think, to, uh, to, to honour Jesus. To, to see the greatness he gained in terms of the name he's, uh, he's inherited and the purification that he dealt with. Uh, he's a great saviour. Number three, the sympathy he learned. Uh, I'm not going to say a great deal about this. Uh, perhaps we'll say some more about it next week, God willing. But um, the, the writer is at pains to point out we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, 
yet was without sin. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And there's much to say about this, and I don't want to try and uh, bite it all off at one go because there's a lot to be said. Let's just say this. Jesus has a role as a prophet. He instructs us and he says, listen to what I say. And we listen to what he says. And Jesus has a role as a king. And as a king, he says, do what I command. And that's right. And our hearts say, yes, Lord, we will do what you say, what you command. But in his role as a priest, he says something like this. He says, dear one, I know your situation. I know your getting across that desert in weakness and in temptation and trial. Let me reach down and give you the help and support which I know you need because I am sympathetic. You are in the place of trial, temptation, affliction and weakness. I too have been there. And it says specifically he sympathises with our weakness and has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. And uh, surely this uh, very deep, poignant description of his sympathy ought to melt our hearts. Uh, let's not be too proud. Let's not be uh, um, indifferent to his offers and his very, very close promises. Um, we should come to him we should come to him. Let us approach the throne of grace. Um, as it says, let's come near to the throne of grace. So number four, the help he sends. And again, I'm not going to say too much about this. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence inspired by the name he's inherited and the purification he's achieved. Let's come with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, what does it say he sends? Well, uh, this uh, help in our time of need, uh, I've looked at the original language in the past week, it, it doesn't actually say time of need, it's a sort of opportune time help. It uses a word to mean a, a season that's exactly right. Uh, or that's exactly right for the season. And I take it that this is saying that his help is opportune. In other words, it arrives not a moment too late. It's exactly as we need it. That's a wonderful encouragement for us, isn't it? And uh, I also presume then it means it, it doesn't come a moment too soon. Um, it comes at the time we need it. It's opportune help. Uh, we've had a couple. I've had a couple of conversations with a couple of people about um, reading books on facing martyrdom, and of course these books on facing martyrdom always make you feel inadequate. You think, well, could I ever do that? Uh, my main problem today is not facing martyrdom. It's coping with the kids running round or climbing the walls, or something that uh, you know a, a memory that's got to me, or something that's uh, completely dented me today. Uh, that's what I'm facing. And I think this is helpful because it says God doesn't give us the grace for uh, the day of martyrdom if it's a day of coping with the kids. He gives us opportune help, the help that we need today, the help that we need this hour, the help needed for this time, for this trial. And that's what he does send, the help 
he sends. And it also talks about receiving mercy and finding grace. And I guess I'm not um, wise enough to say too much more about this, except to say, well, what is mercy? It's undeserved kind action, uh, particularly aimed at the lowly and needy, people who have no negotiating power, who just need help. And this is what mercy is. Grace, perhaps more of a, a, a policy, a promised policy towards those God is pleased to bless. It talks about um, God's grace in chapter 2, verse 9, by the grace of God, Christ suffered. That was his plan, that was his policy. 12.15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to defile uh, the bitter root is obviously the opposite of grace. Grace doesn't bring bitterness, it brings sweetness. Grace doesn't defile, it brings wholesomeness and gratitude and goodness. So uh, what he sends is the opposite of bitter and the opposite of defiling. The help he sends. And uh, it is grace uh, it is actually said to be the throne of grace. Uh, what does God do on this throne? He gives out grace. You know, what do you do in a call centre? You answer calls um, and help people uh, with that. And what does God do on this throne? He deals with grace. That's what he does. That's the business of this throne. It's a throne of grace. The, the king sits there to do the business of grace. I'm just thinking uh, our church... Um, would sometimes use the vocabulary of saying we believe the doctrines of grace that's to say the whole scheme uh, of understanding that God was so kind that when I was a lost sinner he chose out of sheer kindness to set his love on me and to bring me out of the muck and lift me up and make me a member of his family and he did that just because that's what he wanted to do. That's grace. And uh, how wonderful is grace? And uh, if he sits on a throne of grace and gives me grace and mercy to help him in my time of need, he gives me more of that. And Lord, yeah, send more of that. I need more of that. That's, the, uh, th that's what I need. That's how you've always dealt with me. That's how you'll continue to, to deal with me. He sends grace and mercy. Well, I, I hope I didn't rush through that, but I'm trying to say these four things uh, and we'll go over them. The need we have, yeah, that's our position and we're never going to leave that position until we get to glory. It's to do with the time and place we're in. Trial, temptation, affliction, weakness. We're not strong and at rest yet. Um, we will be one day, but until we get there, this is where we are at. And the greatness he gained, he's a great high priest. We should have confidence in what he can do. And I tried to spell this out by saying he inherited a name. It's one of the things that uh, the writer starts off with. He came to a position of recognition and glory. Well, amen. And he made purification. He achieved it. He achieved something eternal. He didn't half do it. He actually got it there. Thirdly, the sympathy he learned. Uh, this is 
essential to a, a good priest to understand the people he's working for. And uh, Jesus excels at this. Uh, we're tempted, we're weak. He was tempted, he knows weakness. He knows and sympathises it. That's immeasurably precious, isn't it, as we pray. And number four, we looked at the help he sends. Mercy, grace, kindness, generosity in the opportune time. What we need at the time we need it. Well, isn't that wonderful? Praise his name. What could be more important than this? Jesus, our great high priest, and that we should constantly be going to him and getting the help that we need. So may the Lord bless us and help us in that. Uh, in his wonderful name, amen. Well, we've heard God's word and we've sung together and prayed together and that's the conclusion of our time. So let's close with the prayer that uh, the writer to the Hebrews prayed for his hearers and then we'll uh, sing out again or play out with that song that we sang uh, towards the beginning, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Give us a second chance to uh, get the hang of that and uh, hopefully join in with it and enjoy it. So here is our closing prayer. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. So that's it uh, from me um, for the time being. And uh, uh, until we meet again, uh, I'll say goodbye just now. Bye-bye.
add to that any particular personal prayers that we want to pray maybe prayers of, I don't know that one maybe prayers of gratitude sorry I had a problem there 